0: So when a physical tragedy befalls you at age 29, when you lose two legs and an arm during an unexpected accident, how do you go on to recover and live a fulfilled life all the way into your seventies and still have this positive, incredible attitude? The amazing Linda Olson turned 71 yesterday before we recorded this, as she told us. And I'm just going to give you a little quote from what she said. She lost her legs and her arm in an accident in Europe when she was 29, went on to have a family, a career, all these things that everybody wants to have and struggles to have even when you have everything that you could imagine, your body. Um, no physical obstacles. And then she said she was just diagnosed with Parkinson's and she says that it's all about acceptance. She said, once you have acceptance, it allows you to adapt and you can start working on it. Then you can start innovating. She said, for instance, for 41 years, She has been trying to figure out how to file her nails. Her husband has been doing that for her. And it became evident to her that there's a new way to do it where she can do it herself now after 41 years. She said it's in a game and she makes a game of it. And she's constantly learning. Listen to all you lifelong learners out there, but she's even learning about herself and how she can move forward. And she says, no matter what's happening, see what you can do to help, even if you're in a wheelchair. And she said, as you get older, things get easier as you get older, because you're more at peace with yourself. Now, Linda has a wonderful book that just came out, which is called Gone. It's her memoir, which is her inspiring, detailed story, which... I urge you all to go read because she truly is an amazing, very motivational person after speaking with her. So I hope you will enjoy this podcast with somebody who truly is an amazing reinventor of all types. And here she is. So welcome Linda, so glad to meet you. Thank you for inviting me. I've been looking
1: forward to this.
0: So I'd love to hear, let's talk a little bit about your history, where you came from, um, where you were born. I always like to get that. I always find it so interesting because sometimes we find clues in, you know, your parents. Sometimes we find clues in how you've moved around, all that kind of stuff as to why you are, who you are, how you're resilient and why.
1: Um, so talk a little bit about where did you grow up? Well, my husband likes to say that I was born in Berserkly, California, (laughs) which is really Berkeley, California, but we didn't spend much time there. I basically spent most of my childhood and young years in Redlands, California, uh, being part of the Loma Linda University Medical Center. My dad was a pathologist. Uh, If you know anything about them, they're very quiet, thoughtful people. My mother was a nurse, and we spent uh, most of our... Growing up years, outdoors, doing you know fun things with family. And uh, I ended up going to medical school at Loma Linda and graduating in 1976. And the very best part about medical school was the fact that I, on the day one, saw the most handsome man in the class. And since I was only one of seven women in the class, I grabbed him. <laughs> so I met my husband in medical school and that's kind of my early years.
0: Awesome. And so you're you're both um, doctors. What kind of doctor did you end up being and what is your husband?
1: I became a diagnostic radiologist and my husband became a radiation oncologist. So we both started our careers back in 1980 and 81 and worked for each of us 30 years. He worked at Scripps Memorial Hospital in La Jolla and I worked at the University of California, San Diego for 30 years in the Department of Radiology. So
0: talk a little bit about um, what happened to you, because I I see you've got a book coming out. Let's talk about that as well. Your memoir, Gone, it just came out, or it's in the process? Last week. Oh, last week. Excellent. Wonderful. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about that. It's called Gone. Can you get it um,
1: on uh, Amazon? Yes, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I actually try to encourage everyone to go to their own independent bookstore and order it through them just because I like supporting independent bookstores. And they can order it through the general um, avenues that they always order books. So yes, you can do all of the above.
0: So what's the book about? Let's hear.
1: Well, uh, probably the big part of our life happened when I was 29. And nine months from the end of my radiology residency, my husband and I went to visit his parents in Germany. His dad was in the Navy and stationed in Stuttgart. And we left on a vacation with them and his brother and wife. And the first day of the trip, we stalled on a railroad track in going, going into Berchtesgaden, Germany. And we got hit by the train. And I'm going to give you the very short version. Um, I tried to get out and the men in the front seat had been able to successfully get out of the van and I rolled onto the track. And just before the train hit, my husband ran back and grabbed me and he had me in his arms when the train hit the van. And it threw him away from the train and I was trapped under the van. And when the train eventually came to a stop, which was a couple hundred yards later, I was alive. I was awake. I had never lost consciousness but my left foot and the mid part of my left leg had been amputated. My right leg was almost totally amputated and my right arm was amputated. So the end result was I ended up being quickly taken to Salzburg, Austria, where I had a team of surgeons that had been alerted that I was coming and they essentially saved my life. I ended up with above knee amputations on both sides and a amputation of my right arm right below the shoulder. So within just a few minutes, I became a triple amputee at age 29 and started living a different kind of life, but a wonderful one.
0: That's some story and some reinvention. How did how did you deal with that? And how did everybody how did everybody else in the van do?
1: (laughs) There were six of us. My husband broke his ankle and he got knocked out and the other four people didn't have anything happen. And in fact, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law who were in the same part of the van with me, they got thrown into the back of the VW van. And when everything came to a stop, they got out and walked away. So it was a freak accident, totally unpredictable. So yes, so that was how we all turned out. And so
0: how did you proceed from there? So you were age 29 and did you continue your career? How did you, how did you recover from that? And you were, you weren't living, were you living in um, Germany? You were not living there, right? No, no, we were just visiting.
1: Visiting. The, the reinvention really started the next 24 hours. And my kind of Waterloo was that night coming out of surgery and waiting to see my husband for the first time the next morning. And I was 29. He was a little bit younger than me. And I kept thinking, you know, he's a young, handsome doctor, he's not gonna wanna stick around. And so I memorized the two sentences that I was gonna say to him. And when he walked in that morning, I said, I've been thinking, and if you don't wanna stick around, I'll understand. And he looked right at me and within five seconds said, I didn't marry your arms and your legs. If you can do it, I can do it. And right there, that was less than 24 hours after the accident, I kind of had my start. And I thought, if he really says he's going to do this, and I'd known him for quite a while now, I thought, I really believe if he says something, he's going to follow through on it. So we were in Austria for three weeks uh, before we were medevaced back home to San Diego. And I spent those three weeks with bandages all over me. And I had one good hand. That was my left hand. So my very first thing to start doing was learning how to become a left-handed person, which I wasn't naturally. Oh, it's a great thing. <laughs> I like it now. <laughs> um, and also how to do things with one hand. And so it became a game. And I had my my overwhelming attitude was I had a choice to make and my choice was, did I want to be happy or not? And people would come in to see us. My family came over, his family was there, and they would stand at the foot of my bed and they wouldn't look at me and they were teary and they didn't know what to say. And I realized very quickly that I was in charge and it was my job to make them happy. And this is something I'm good at this. This is kind of the way I've always lived. I want to be happy. I want to hear you laugh. I want to laugh with you. So I focused on them as much as me. So I'm focusing on physical things for myself, and I'm focusing on their mental attitudes. And it worked. Um, Pretty soon, we started playing games. We'd go out every afternoon to the garden. Uh, They put me in a wheelchair, and we'd take books out there. And we started making lists of what we were going to need to do when we got back home. And that became a big part of our first three weeks was documenting. There were nine or 10 things. We kind of made our, we kind of categorized our life into professional, family, friends, house, driving, and things like that. And then every evening, we would sit down with paper and a pencil, I was learning to write with my left hand, and put little goals for each of those. So by the time we left Austria, we had lists that we thought were the important things for our lives and how we were going to get started on them. So that was the beginning. Wow, that's
0: amazing. So, but that's, I mean, don't you think that's a highly unusual Attitude to take. I mean, is that something that you knew you would would sort of go in that direction, or is that something that you had as a child? Or um, I mean, that's pretty unusual, isn't it, not to be totally flipped out?
1: I think it was a combination of who I am and who my husband is, and my husband's a very black and white person. Um, being a radiation oncologist, he deals and dealt with people that were facing life and death issues every day. And he kind of looked at this and said, day one is the worst it's ever going to be. We're going to go uphill from here. So let's act like that. So that kind of helped. On the other hand, I think both of us being doctors probably gave us a lot of focus. And I think, you know, going through college and medical school, you learn to live a life that is scheduled, um, Now that you've asked me this, I remember one part of my life as a child, my mother used to put a list on the back of our bedroom doors and it had a list of every hour of the day starting at six o'clock in the morning. You practice the piano from six to seven, you eat breakfast, you go to school, you come home. So I think now that you ask me, I had grown up with a focus on, you know, doing things kind of in a rote fashion, perhaps. And some people might think that's kind of, you know, leaves no freedom and no uh fun doing things, but it kind of keeps you focused so that you have more time to do things that you really want to do. So I think maybe it was a combination of several things that we were able to, we're, we're list makers. And I bet a lot of people that are listening today are probably the same way. And they just haven't been put in a position like this where they can capitalize on it. So it's interesting. I have
0: a, a woman who we're going to be doing a workshop with who is all about doing lists. <laughs> <laughs> She's like the list queen. So I may have to invite you to that one because yeah. that is really, I mean, I've never heard anybody who got out of something like this using lists. Mm-hmm. That's oh Yeah. unbelievable. <laughs>
1: Well, and to be honest with you, we still have those lists because my my husband made me write them because I was my, like I said, my left hand practicing, right? He got home and he put them in a notebook and I've actually, they're in the book. You can actually see, I took photographs of them to show how I was writing and how we were doing it. So yeah, it was, it was multifactorial, you know, it was good for the mind. It was good for my hand and it was good for focusing us. So, yeah.
0: So you feel like the list moved you through and showed you how to function in the first year or two or, or the first month or two, how did the list actually work towards
1: your reinvention? You know, it went for probably the next two or three years easily. Uh, It, it got us back to my first thing was to get rehabbed and learn how to walk with prosthetic legs. And I did that within the... four months after the accident, I was able to walk a mile in my new artificial legs. I call them my fake legs. Um, And my next goal was to go back to work. I had a year's leave of absence, and I wanted to go back and finish my radiology residency so I could be a radiologist. And then things like finding a job, uh, being able to adapt a car to drive, and Oh, well, along the way, I got pregnant nine months after the accident. <laughs> we started a family. That's so, wonderful. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think until we got well into the family part, well, even 10 years later, when we started camping, those were things that were on our list, but just took longer to get to. So and eventually, you know, periodically, we would go back and talk about what was on the list and, you know, kind of pat ourselves on the back to realize on days when you're not feeling quite as chipper, it's helpful to go back and look at things and say, look where we've come from too, so. So how do you process
0: that kind of um, tragedy when you're so young? Do you look at it differently now
1: than you did when you were 29? How old are you now? Uh, I turned 71 yesterday.
0: Wow, awesome. (laughs)
1: Um, You know, I, I think I felt lucky. And I know I felt lucky because one of the first things we did was sat down is what can I do? Well, I was lucky that I was a radiology resident. I wasn't doing OBGYN or I wasn't a surgeon. Um, And I was lucky because I'd gone to medical school and I could continue on and do what I wanted to do which was help people. So I think from day one, well, let's say not day one let's say by the end of the time we left uh, Salzburg to come home. I knew that I could probably do a lot of the things I had always wanted to do, but I was just going to be doing them differently. So the things that I couldn't do anymore, I stopped thinking about them. I used to play the piano and the pipe organ and ride a bike and scuba dive and hike and I was a very active person. So I discovered that to keep from being discouraged or depressed, I distracted myself from those with things that I had to do right now and a lot of those were physical just learning to walk and stuff but every time I found something that I could do it well I let me backtrack I think the things that we originally thought I couldn't do many of them I actually could do if I had someone helping me or I modified how I did it so yeah, it became a big challenge and it was kind of a game so kept me busy <laughs> Where
0: does this spirit come from, Linda? How do people (laughs) who have, who have suffered way less than you? How, how do they take from that? I mean, is this just your natural spirit? So no, no matter what, um, you were always going to end up like that in your life? Um, Or is that something that you cultivated? Or did you read
1: a lot? Did you get a lot of therapy? How did you get there? The first two, uh, I was born this way. I think I tell people that I you someday you'll be able to draw my blood and I think there'll be a happy gene in there. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take to find that science, but I think I basically have always been an upbeat can do type person. And I think I wanted to be happy. So I chose to spend all the energy that I had to work in that direction and you asked me another question, and I forgot it already. So, um, no, oh. I was just wondering. Yeah, do you do you, did it change
0: over time? Do you, is it had you know how do people cultivate that kind of thing? Did you um, get
1: therapy? You know, we did. We did not get therapy. Uh, interestingly, a psychiatrist from Beverly Hills used to go over to that hospital in Salzburg every year, and he was doing trauma research on burn victims his name was mal braverman and they had him come in and spend about an hour hour and a half with us a couple weeks after the accident and after talking to us this is my husband and i together and you got to see this it's a team i mean i am a strong person but i'm doubled in strength because of my husband and he looked at us and said you don't need someone digging deep. I think you've got the strength and the wherewithal on your own to do this. Now, obviously that's not something that we're all going to be able to take advantage of. So I think uh, going on from there and taking advantage and relying and becoming more reliant on our friends became a big part of our therapy. Uh, my college roommates, um, they're the people that we started getting outdoors with again. And they're the people that came first to see us when we got back to the United States. So I think rather than reading a lot of books and having a lot of therapy, which I think is a wonderful tool, and its we're lucky that we have so much of that available, I think we had more of a personal family. We had strong families. We had friends that were just hell-bent on helping us. And um, I think it was hard for me at first to accept their help. In fact, that was probably one of the hardest things for me for 20 years. As I've gotten older, I'm much more inclined to ask for help or to accept help, which probably I could have benefited from if I had started doing that earlier. But uh, I think no matter what your trauma is, whether it's physical or mental or loss of a job, one of the biggest things that we all have to do is find mentors or find people that we can get on our team that will help us. And I think that was a huge part of my recovery. Do your kids have the
0: same kind of uh, vision of
1: life? Did it pass along? Do you think it's genetic? Uh, they do. And both our children were born after the accident. Um, they were just like anybody else's kids. I, We went through the teenage years. They are stubborn, hard, driving type people. Um, I'll tell you, they both played water polo. <laughs> and if you know anything about water polo, you'll know that it's a physical sport and there's a lot of um, aggression. Um, and they're not overly aggressive people, but they uh, grew up in a family where things were pretty black and white. And they took their time after college to find their direction. Uh, Our daughter is 39 now, and she works here at UC Davis. She is a statistician and outcomes analysis person. And she is probably someone that will continually for the rest of her life be reinventing herself. And one of the most talented out there type people, bigger than life person. Um, Our son just finished a residency in surgery. Again, three years after college, he decided maybe maybe he should have done what mom suggested and gone to medical school. So he went back and went to medical school. And so at age 36, he's just finishing a residency a little bit older than some other people. Um, They took their time to find their places. And I'm pretty sure that they probably had to live in our shadow and had to push away from that and become their own people before they were able to do the things that they're doing now, which are very similar mentally than to uh, compare like what we mom and dad do. So uh, interesting childhood. Now I have to tell you, neither of my children have read this book yet. Although the prologue was written by my daughter And the epilogue was written by my son, not for the book, but for events totally unrelated to it. And I took their pieces and said, these are wonderful bookends to my book. And I really wrote the book eventually because I wanted people to see the story 40 years after the accident. Can you raise a family? Can you have a wonderful life? Can you travel the world after something horrendous has happened. And their pieces on the front and the back, I think, are the are the proof that you can have a wonderful life, even if you don't have legs and an arm. So.
0: <laughs> How do you apply that today to what's going on out there? And people who, you know, we're going through pretty tumultuous times, we have a pandemic, we have, I mean, it's kind of crazy-wazy, How do you apply your learning to that? What insights do you have? What thoughts do you have? Um, What words of wisdom do you have for people who are feeling this is intolerable and they've never seen anything like it and maybe we can't get through it?
1: Well, it is intolerable and it's very hard for a large number of people. And I'm lucky that I'm 71 because I'm not impacted to the same degree as young people, but Having said that, if I was at home and had my children and I was trying to go to school and work in the same house, I would try to minimize the outside anxieties. And when we talk about the horrendous things that are going on around us, I don't think this is a cop-out, but my husband and I pretty much just don't listen to the news anymore. (laughs) Um, There are some things that you can put a hold off from being right in your face all the time. That doesn't mean you don't know what's going on in the world. That doesn't mean you don't read the paper or at least read the headlines. So, you know, the issues, but insulate yourselves a little bit. Don't let everybody be bombarding you all the time because you can't focus on your energy with what needs to be done. If you're kind of flitting from thing to thing and becoming involved with this March or that March or whatever, If you are adamant or passionate about politics or things that are going on in the world, pick one thing and let that be your focus, but don't let it be the focus in place of your family and your life. I don't know if that makes sense, but, or if it's too simplistic.
0: No, no. I think that's actually very good. I think that's very helpful. Um, Anything else that you want to tell women who may be going through some kind of physical tragedy, you know, as you get older, there's a chance you'll end up with who knows what, um, the older you live, right?
1: Um, well, there is. I just was diagnosed five years ago with Parkinson's disease. So oh my. I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. Um, and you know, I think what I've learned the most, and I have three, there's three words. And first of all, it takes most of us a long time to accept things that have happened to us. We don't want to believe it, or we think that it's not real, or we think we can overcome it. And basically, a lot of these things aren't going to go away. So when you finally accept that you have a difficulty or a problem or a difference, it allows you to start working on it. And you can start adapting. You can start changing the things around you so that you can function, or you can be successful. And the last part of that is when you become comfortable, and you've accepted, and you've adapted to these things, you can start innovating. And that's where you start remaking yourself, or you figure out a new way to do things. Um, With one hand, I am constantly, I mean, it's been 41 years now, there are new things every year or two that I figure out that I didn't think I could do. One of them a few years ago was filing my fingernails with one hand. My husband had cut my fingernails for years, but you know, there's always, you make a game of it. You, you look at things and go, Oh, why didn't I think of that last year or this year? So accepting, adapting and innovating. And as we get older, like you say, all of us are going to have things that start going downhill. So make a game of it, make, turn and look at other people and see who you can help because it makes us feel good to help other people. And even if you're doing it from a wheelchair, like I am, um, it's just find things that you can do that will make you and somebody else feel good. I think. Wow. That's amazing.
0: Um, I really can't ask you any other questions. (laughs) It's (laughs) such an amazing story. And I just am honored to spend the time with you. And I'm so glad you put the book out there. I think that's fantastic. And people can find it at Amazon. It's called Gone. And we'll talk about that as well at the intro. Anything else that you want to say, um, Linda, to this group of women who are, you know, probably average age is 54, they're managerial, CEO, CFO level, um, they're, you know, striking out on their own, perhaps. For the first time. Anything about
1: age that strikes you? Uh, I think things get uh, somewhat easier as you get older because I think my concerns and everybody else's concerns often, we don't worry about the same things. Uh, we're more at peace with ourselves. So I'm hoping that for the rest of my life and those that we're all listening today is that we Can look around us and find something that maybe we wanted to do as a young person and didn't have the courage or time or money to do or find something that we thought we couldn't do and take the challenge and pat yourself on the back because there aren't a lot of people around to do it for you but learn how to pat yourself on the back at the end of the day and say I did a good job today I like myself so that would be I think that's what I would like to say.
0: Linda, amazing. I'm so glad we had this time together and uh, I'm just grateful that we connected. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much for inviting me.
0: Great. So I wanna thank you for being with us today to listen to the story of Linda Olson and how she remade her life after being a triple amputee and how she's moving forward. And I think Linda really best illustrates the whole point of this podcast, which is really no matter what life throws in front of you, you can move forward. You have to find your way There are people and friends who can help pull you through this. We can all help each other. That is the whole point of the Covey Club. If you have not checked us out, please come over and check out CoveyClub.com. That's the whole point. Don't do it alone. Don't go it alone. Find your girlfriends who will have your back and who will help you no matter what it is. And we soldier on. And I think it's just a wonderful example of that. If you like the podcast, please come back and subscribe and listen to the over 100 other interviews that I've done with women from coming from every single direction and showing you that you can do whatever it is that's put in front of you that you need to do or want to do. And a lot of it's just mind over matter. And as Linda says, you can turn it into a game. And that worked for her. Whatever is that works for you is the solution. And again, come over and visit us at CoveyClub.com. We have all kinds of webinars we're doing all week. We have about 12 to 15 a month that we do that will educate you in every aspect of your life. It could be DIY beauty, all the way to how to get insurance for small business or health insurance for yourself if you're not working full time. And how to deal with your LinkedIn and make your LinkedIn work harder for you. It is everything for your life for a woman at uh, 40 plus. And some men, we have some men in the Cubby Club too. So hopefully you'll join us. And if you like the podcast, give us a, a rating and a uh, uh, leave us a comment. And um, other people will find us that way as well. And tell your friends about us. We are very, very helpful. We know that. We listen to your comments and we really appreciate it. So, thank you very much for joining us. This has been Leslie Jane Seymour, and see you next time.